This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to Nordic Nation. Pretty much the same thing as the Faster Skier podcast, just with a slightly snazzier name. Park City has been home for U.S. ski team member Liz Steven for over a decade. That's where we caught up with Steven in October, a week before the official U.S. ski team Park City training camp. Stephen has historically thrived in the distance events, particularly when things get steep. The final stage of the Tour de Ski, the burly climb up the Val di Fiemme ski area, that's the kind of steeps where Stephen excels. In 2016, she raced the second fastest time of the day on the final grinding stage. Here's Stephen to start things off talking about growing up in Vermont. I grew up in Vermont in the Northeast Kingdom, kind of split my time between Burke, where I went to school, and uh, East Montpelier, where I actually grew up. And now I live in Utah. Um, I moved out here 11 years ago, and I made the ski team. And yeah, been training out here ever since in Park City. You started out alpine racing. And was that your switch a function of it wasn't going so well in the alpine realm, or you just realized that you had a motor? Yeah, it's it's probably a little bit of both. I, uh, you know, it was kind of what my family did growing up. We would go every weekend up to Burke to ski. Um, and I was in the junior program and my mom kind of helped out as, I don't know if we like a coach is the right term. It was really just a facilitator of being able to ski. And, and that was just what our family did. Um, and so I really grew to love it. And I, and I really grew to love being at the academy, Burke Mountain Academy, where I started going in eighth grade. Yeah, I also at the same time, you know, loved to run. I was a high energy kid, both my brother and I were. And in order to even hope to behave in class, we really had needed to have some energy release somewhere. So <laughs> I was big into running and uh, and got really involved in it, kind of starting my sixth grade year. But my mom always says I ran before I walked, probably because my balance is so bad. <laughs> but I uh, I switched when I was going into, I guess, my 10th grade year. I was 15, and it was kind of a con- yeah, combination of, you know, running didn't really fit with where I needed to go if I wanted to make Alpine my, you know, top sport. And I just, yeah, I was switching age categories, and I needed to use longer skis, and it was just... I kind of fell out of love with it, with the racing part of it anyways. I still die to ski every spring. I just, I really love alpine skiing and I love backcountry skiing because it mixes my two loves of endurance stuff and, uh, <laughs> you know, needing to get rid of that energy, but also just loving the the feeling of flying and floating down a hill. So yeah, I guess it was more that I just didn't really want to race alpine anymore. And certainly the running had kind of, taken a top priority for me and I wasn't willing to give that up. Switching over at 15, if you can recall, you know, from Alpine to cross country, were you within say three or four months able to look fairly proficient technically, both skate and classic, or, you know, was it a function of, boy, you'll just kind of muddle through the technique and clearly the motor was there? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I think it was probably it, in three to four months, I felt like I was fairly proficient at the technique. I actually went to my first JOs in Fairbanks with uh, and was on a team with Ida Sargent and uh, 
can't remember who else was on our team. Maybe Laura Spector that year. And we actually won uh, won the relay in, in Fairbanks, and uh, and I ended up winning like the five k skate or something too. So I certainly like switched, and it was um, it was kind of one of those things that just felt like it was easier than it should have been. You know, after doing something else for so long, you think it would be um, really hard to switch. You know, it's just been this political climate the past couple months where things have been super intense and in particular for women and these sort of invigorated perp- purpose of being a female role model in terms of, in terms of athletics. Yeah, it's actually, it's funny you ask that right now. I agree with you with all of that, but um, I'm actually... I put on a fast and female event here in Park City every year in October, and uh, this Sunday is this year's. And so, actually, empowerment of females through sport has been on my brain uh, quite a bit the last few months. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the greatest benefits and challenges somewhat sometimes, but benefits of being an athlete is being able to have a voice and have your voice heard in a lot of ways. And I think that we have an obligation as athletes and as female role models to be the people that we want to be and try and help be the role models that we had growing up for this new generation. And it's really what I love about Fast and Female, um, the organization, is that Chandra Crawford started it after she won her gold medal in 2006. And I remember talking to her about it and she told me that you know, she won this gold medal and she was young and she was totally unexpected to win it. And it was pretty overwhelming for her. Um, She didn't really, you know, she hadn't planned on having that kind of success so early in her career. And she kind of struggled with it a little bit. And, And I think the way out of the struggle of it was to do something good with the platform she had created by winning the medal. And I think that she has just opened the doors to being able for all to all of us to kind of jump on board with this organization and have a a really easy way to empower girls through this through sport and to try and keep them in sport because sport has done such wonderful things for me and I know my teammates and Chandra and so many others and it's it's always so much work to put on the event and it's always so worth it just to see the girls having fun and hopefully you know you connect with one or six girls that you make a difference in their life and maybe they continue to stay involved in sport for a little bit longer. But my goal with with this event and with Fast and Female in particular is is really just not to not so much to keep girls in sport, even though that is really the underlying goal of it all, but more to really project on them how important sport has been for us and all of the lessons that you can learn through being involved in any kind of athletic pursuit and you know just a few would be how to set goals that's gonna you need to be able to do that for anything you decide to do in your life how to work with people wow that's like how to be a good teammate how to how to deal with a disappointment um these are things that everyone deals with in their life and i think that it's really the main besides you know 
being healthy and strong, which is a whole nother uh, huge importance in life. You know, those are like main things that I want these girls to walk away with, knowing that they can, you know, being involved in sport can help them develop in the rest of their lives, whatever their passion ends up being. What type of advice, you know, if you could kind of go back in time, you are, I think, 30. Is that right? Almost three months away. Oh, I'm <laughs> sorry. No, it's okay. All right. Um, it's going to happen at some point. And, you know, this has been elite level skiing has been your life for 11 years, I think, at this point. What would you tell, what kind of advice would you give yourself, you know, if you could go back to the beginning? Oh, man. Huh. That's funny. It, yeah, it's just it's funny that I haven't, um, you know, I haven't really thought about that question before. Like, if I could go back, what would I do differently, or or what you know, maybe what wouldn't I do differently? It's um, it's interesting. I mean, this journey has been so rewarding in so many ways, and it's been really, you know, there's been some really low times and some really high times, and. I don't know if I would give myself any other advice other than the advice that I always gave myself and I always had the support from everyone I cared about and who cared about me and that was to have fun and to work hard and I I can't stress it enough that this is a long long journey and it's not going to be easy every step of the way um, and you don't want it to be. I wouldn't change how I've done it. Um, I've learned a lot from every every step I've taken, um, and I hope to continue to learn through the next few years of my career. And I don't know. I guess just have fun and work hard because it is. If you're not having fun for most of it, I mean, eighty percent of it needs to be really just about fun. I don't think you can last as long as you need to last in order to become as great and learn as many things from the journey as you can. So fun is definitely uh, fun and hard work go together hand in hand, I think, for the best skiers in the world. So I don't have your FIS results pulled up, but oh, that's- oh, is that, did you just say that's good? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I um. But I, I probably won't be able to tell you um, specific no, results okay. either. So I can pull I'm not going to ask that. But in your defense, they're not shabby. They're pretty remarkable. Um, <laughs> you. So you had a really strong year, I believe, 2014, 2015. Yeah, I did. I would imagine you would think that there was a drop off uh, the following year, 2015, 2016. Oh, yeah. You know, personally, how do you manage that? longer term roller coaster where you can be up one, you know, for a 12 month period, be like, holy smokes, this is the training plans worked. It's things are going great. And the next, you know, competition cycle the next year, you know, if you're down one or 2%, things might not go the way you predicted. You know, how do you manage that? Yeah, it's a challenge. Um, I actually, I've been thinking about it a lot um, recently over this training season. And I think probably the first thing is that when you're having a good day and a good you know, year, it's easy to keep it going because it's like you watch a team that starts winning and each and then they get on this crazy winning streak because each time they win, they gain a little more confidence. Each time they watch their teammates do well or their 
playing a game with their teammates, like a soccer team or something, everybody's performance is just boosted. So for me, two years ago, um, it was for sure, hands down, my best season ever in a lot of ways. And it was really easy to keep not only like the, the, res- the stoke high because your confidence is high, but also that is really fun when you're doing really well. You're like your hard work paid off. And, you know, I went into the the next training season really excited, really wanting to build on my results. And I think probably looking back, I was a little too um, gung-ho to gain, uh, you know, to make progress and ended up with a season where I was, I was really struggling both at physically and, um, and then mentally. And I think the opposite is true as well. You know, once you're it's not as though you worked any less hard. Generally, that's not the case. Sometimes it's the opposite. You feel like you worked really hard and none of that is paying off. And so it's a, it's like a two-sided sword. You know, your results are going down and instead of being like, all right, I can do this, like gaining confidence, it's the opposite. You know, every time you're getting a result that you're not proud of, your confidence is sinking like just a little bit lower. And for every percent that your confidence sinks, that's at least a place on the World Cup, if not two. I think that it's easy to keep having, not that it's easy is not the right word, because there's nothing easy about being a professional athlete and and racing every every weekend and, you know, trying your hardest every every ounce of of the day um, while you're over there. But it's easier to continue to develop good results and to have good results if you're able to, to if your results are constantly building on it themselves because your confidence is such a huge part of this of this sport I think <laughs> that those are that's how I see it anyways on those like you have two years that you know statistically if we looked at them they're obviously kind of not necessarily polar opposites but the trends are very different yeah you know, as someone who's been doing this a long time, is there something you can kind of sense during the middle of that? So if you took a snapshot of yourself in the middle of the 14-15 season and the 15-16 season, is it something you can actually sense you're missing that one or two or three percent? Yeah, absolutely. I think at this point in in my career, I'm able to pretty much know uh, within a few. Yeah, I'm pretty. I pretty much know what kind of shape I'm in. I would tell. I would say. And especially, I think uh, last year was a huge learning experience for me because I'd had bad years in the past. For example, the 2010 Olympics was, wow, one of my worst years ever. And I, I like can pinpoint why that was. Um, it was, you know, some training stuff. Uh, there was injuries. Um, we really worked on strength that year and it really didn't pay off in terms of being a cross country skier. And so I was able to say, well, I'm not going to do that again. I know that that's what caused this. I'm going to go do something else. It becomes a little bit harder when you go from having such a good year to having just a really pretty mediocre to bad year with a few bright spots and you kind of wonder why it happened but I think I've had enough distance from it now that I I'm quite sure there were a few factors for last year it was you know I think I was a little too gung-ho I think I trained a little bit too hard and didn't really ever take the rest I really needed Um, and so kind of just got used to feeling okay 
and feeling okay is so different than feeling good. Um, but you forget what good feels like sometimes when you're, when you're that deep in the hole. And then I think when I look at myself, when I think back on like going into my podium two years ago, I was always really excited for the next thing. You know, at the tortoise ski, I was like, that's my favorite time of year. I was so excited to race those races and everything just kind of fell into place. My confidence was so high and highest it's ever been in my career, I would say. And that left me feeling really good about my goal of being on the podium in Russia a few months later. And so, and so I went to that knowing it was my goal. It was so specific and I was just ready to do it that I was able to do it. And all of this, of course, there's a huge mental component, but there's also a physiological component. And I was just in the place I needed to be. I was rested, I was fit, and I just I just knew. And then I, you know, flip it 12 months later at that same time, you know, I'd had a really a pretty tough tour to ski. Definitely was not, not the kind of racing I wanted it to be for me. Of course, I was excited for the rest of my team who had amazing tours, but it was uh, it was definitely not, it was a disappointment for me because it is my favorite series of races. And so I think that kind of was just another kick to my already hurting shins. And uh, there wasn't really that next race that I was looking forward to. The tour had kind of been my race and the next race was really, you know, I was trying to get my head around the one relay we had left, which ended up going really well in Czech. And I'm attributing it to really the two bright spots of my year last year were the relays. And I think that so much of my, there was certainly a, a physiological component to last year. I was really tired. I think I was probably overtrained for most of the year, but I was mentally very unhappy and and tired of being on the road yeah it was just I was tired of being trying to be up for my for my team which is my job you know I I really see it as if somebody's down one person is a polarizing effect on a team and if you're having a bad year or you're having a bad week or whatever you really need to do that in a way that does not affect how the rest of the team is functioning. And so it's tiring to, to keep yourself up all the time. And I was exhausted, but I knew that check had to be, it, it was, it was not for me. I didn't, I get a lot of motivation doing things for other people. And I, that's how I focused on that race. I was, this is not about me. This is about the team. Um, and I think that is why I was able to put that race together. And I'm really, really glad I was able to because it was it's our best uh, relay result to date. And hopefully we can continue to build on it. And, and I hope that um, it's kind of where I'm looking to get my motivation for this season and, uh, you know, kind of through the next Olympics is I'm really focused on getting on a relay team or at least helping whatever whoever is on the relay team on the day of the Olympics in 2018 to win a medal because our team has worked so hard for for medals and we're in a position to do that and I think that it's not that the medal means something more than just you know 
you have something in your hand, but it is that solid, that's the platform that you're able to build off of. And I think having that platform as Chandra did so well with Fast and Female, you can do so much with that. And I think our team is a really special team and would do a lot with that. And so it's just, that's really motivating for me. I'm really focused on that right now. You feel, it sounds like you feel pretty good right now in terms of your fitness. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I've, yeah, it's been good. Like I've been feeling happy all summer, um, which really was a struggle last year. I've never, I've really never felt that in my whole life, just really having to try to be happy. Um, I don't like, I don't like the feelings. I don't want to get that again. I'm generally a happy person. And this summer it feels back to normal. I feel happy most of the time, you know, and, uh, normal. <laughs> so I think training's going well. <laughs> um, yeah. Cause I can imagine that being really hard when, as you mentioned, like sometimes things, you know, it's like we tell kids, you know, have fun, have fun. But as you, you did mention this and this is true, you know, I see this, it's sometimes it's just more fun when you're being successful. Absolutely. Yeah. What might be in your back pocket in terms of skill sets now that, you know, if things are not going exactly to plan, that you'll be able to maintain that joy? Yeah, you know, that is that is what kind of what we're working on now um, is it's easy when things are easy, right? It's uh, it's very easy to keep happiness going. Maybe there's not so much stress and you think things are going to go well. But what if, you know? things just the tortoise ski happens to really be terrible again where do I go uh, mentally you know um, and that's uh I think there are, I definitely have some tricks that I've learned this year but it's a good question Jason because I think everybody struggles with that a bit but I think there are a few things that that I do have uh, kind of to fall back on and knowing how to knowing what makes me feel confident. And if it's not the results, you know, results are an easy way to feel confident. You know, there are other ways you if you like who you are as a person that should give you a little confidence. If you really like the team you're on, I mean, I'm really proud of my team. um, And that that gives me confidence because I'm a part of that team. I have really, really good support. And I have people that I know, um, will tell me the truth and exactly like, where we need to go in terms of training, if that's part of it, or, you know, mentally, where do we go now? So I think that breaking, it's always hard to look at a huge picture and not have smaller pictures within that. It's like if you take a race, if you look at a 30K race and you're at the start line and all you see is the finish, that race is going to go by so slowly because you're just trying to get to the finish the whole time. But if you have, you know, oh, between 2K and 6K, I'm going to work specifically on that. And all of a sudden your brain is focused only on what you're thinking about for those 4K. 1 to 6K goes like a blink of an eye. And then all of a sudden you have your next goal. And so I broke kind of to break up the season into little goals um, and not just look at, where I want to be in the overall at the end of the season or the end result at the tortoise ski. I think that that's a, that's a really good way to keep you mentally very engaged and, uh, and your confidence, you know, able to be right there at your side as well. <laughs> Those are great answers to hear. Cause I've to be reminded of, you know, how you main, maintain confidence and, 
self-worth, you know, positive self-worth when things might not be on the results sheet that, you know, are reflective of how much work you put into it? Yeah, for sure. I think it's really easy. And I, I know this has happened to me some too. And it's something I always tell other people, but can't always hear it for myself is that I'm a skier, but you're not only a skier. You're actually a person first and your ski results don't reflect who you are as you. And so it really shouldn't be something that makes you feel bad about yourself, having a bad result or having a bad year. Like it, but it does somehow it does. It creeps in because this sport takes over so much of your life and it is who you are, but it's actually not who you are as a person. And it is like a very, it needs to be a distinguished line, but it somehow seems to just creep in a lot. It sounds like tortoise ski is one of your goals and being, you know, at least supporting your teammates and perhaps being on one of the relay teams this winter. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) Okay. I've looked at the schedule and I, I imagine there's one during world champs. Uh, but otherwise there, I, I think there's one, before that, but I, I have not really scrutinized the schedule to sound like a total clueless oh, no. person here. Don't worry. I actually, <laughs> I, uh, I just recently was looking at it again. So um, until recently, I wouldn't have been able to tell you either what everything was. But there's one in La Clusa in France right before the Christmas break, before the tour to ski. And then there's one right before World Champs, actually, um, in a new venue in, I don't know exactly how to say it, but Ulrikaham, maybe? That's in Sweden. And then we'll have one at, at the tour, or at um, World Champs as well. So there are definitely some good relay opportunities. Yeah. And how about uh, any solo distance races that you may have your eye on? Yeah. Um, so I've I've decided this year to skip a couple of racing races because I really found last year that it was it's become a long season to be on the road the whole time and I kind of know at this point what I'm what I'm able to perform in and and what I'm not and I don't feel like I need to go to every venue just to go to the venue because I did it every other year so I'm gonna skip Ruka because a classic sprint is not my thing <laughs> neither is a so far a 10 15k classic and it's it's just not something that it I don't want to start my season in Kusumo. Some people really love it there. And I've just never really fell in love with the place. The venue's great. Everything is great. I just I just don't love being there. And so I'm not going to start there this year. I'm going to start in Lillehammer for the mini tour. Um, so I think I'm not going to put a bunch of pressure on myself before, um, before the tour, but I would like to see there's a good opportunity for me in Davos with a 15K skate. Um, which is the second weekend. And then, uh, of course, the relay the following weekend. Those will be the races I focus on before the Christmas break. And then um, the Tour de Ski, obviously, is a huge, it's a huge one for me. And then after after we go to that new venue in, in Sweden, we go to Falun, where there's, they actually just changed it. It was going to be a 15K skate there as well, which I was really looking forward to, but they changed it to be a classic. So, I will, I've worked really hard on classic this year. So I'm really hoping to make a big change, um, in terms of results, but, but then after that, I'm actually going to go home, um, and skip 
the Pyeongchang World Cups and just spend two and a half weeks at home, even skipping Estonia the next weekend, uh, and just get in some solid training before I go to World Champs. Training and home time and happy time. And it makes it really, like I was talking about, really able... It's a, it's a bright spot in a long season, and I hope that the season is very bright in itself, but it's just something to look forward to for me that I get to go home in the, at the very end of January, and I just, I think I need that for me and my, and mentally in this point in my career. And then, of course, the Holman Colon, it's classic this year, but I, I love that place. Anytime I'm in Norway or Sweden, I'm, I'm usually quite happy, and then, yeah, Russia finishes the season off. So, yeah, so I guess I have three kind of uh, target races and um, and then just per- try to perform really well for uh, for both or all three of the relays if, if I happen to be on the team. Do you have your eye at all on the – I'm just looking yeah. at this, the calendar along with you as you were talking, the, the 30K uh, skate mass start in Lati? Yeah, definitely. I uh, – the last world championship 30k or i guess i should say in sochi i was really focused on that race and we we really messed up um in a few ways there and so it kind of like a little bit of redemption um for my 30k skating so yeah that's definitely uh that's a big one and it's nice that it's kind of at the end of the week because it, it lets me really focus on the relay which is my main my main focus for Lati and the skiathlon will be a good opportunity as well, but definitely the relay and then and then start focusing on that 30K for sure. That's a big, big asterisk. For this next question, here's a bit of background. Stephen and I discussed the details of the doping case surrounding Norwegian ski star Teresa Johag. It seems Johag used a lip ointment prescribed by her team doctor who worked for the Norwegian Ski Federation. The ointment contained a banned steroid. In any event, I wanted to know how Stephen ensures that she avoids ingesting or absorbing banned substances. In particular, cross-country athletes that we on the U.S., we don't really hear about these things, but are you yourself doing the vetting of the product, or are you also, in addition, consulting a doctor about a specific product? Yeah, so... Um how we how we do it is that you know we expect our doctors to be up to speed on you know what's legal with WADA, USADA, in competition, out of competition. But that being said, there's never something that we just take without looking at ourselves because ultimately, if a doctor gives you something and he thinks it's right, he could legitimately think it is right as what I think has happened in this case, which is so sad for. To race and for the doctor, I'm sure he feels absolutely terrible. But I think that you know, ultimately, the doctor isn't going to be remembered here. You know, this is this is a huge, huge thing for Therese and for her career. Like it or not, whether it was an honest mistake or not, if you have your name and doping next to it, it's it's a done deal. Unfortunately, fortunately, in some cases too, right? But not. I I see this one as as just really a a bummer. It's so, so important that with supplements and with whatever you are taking or rubbing on your skin or whatever, you are looking it up for yourself every single time because it it is this kind of thing that is our worst nightmare as athletes. And what's really sad and unfortunate about it is that 
you know, Norway went from having zero doping violations in their whole career, as far as I know, to having two in one summer. During part of our conversation, Liz mentioned she uses the website GlobalDRO to determine if a substance is banned or not. Can you explain what GlobalDRO is? Oh, yeah. Um, so it's a, we're all tested. We're it's kind of a three-part thing. So there's, as a U.S. athlete, and it's the same in every country, we have USADA, so U.S. Anti-Doping Agency, that um, knows where we are at all times and can come test us whenever they want, and we, you know, we need to be there. There's also FIS that does testing, and there's also WADA that does testing. And they can also, they also know your whereabouts, and they can also test you whenever they want. That includes blood and urine, um, out of competition, in competition. So we have the USADA website, which I go to, which is what I would go to as a U.S. athlete, to check a supplement. So you can go on their website, you type in either the name of your product, or if you're really concerned, you can type in the name of the active ingredient or something you might be concerned about in their global DRO is what they call it. And you're able to see, you know, yes, it's yes, it's banned in competition, but you're fine out of competition, or it's totally banned, or it's totally in the clear, then you can at least, yeah, know for yourself that, you've seen like, okay, yes, I'm going to take this now because my doctor said it was okay. But now I also know for sure it is okay. So it's kind of a, you know, it's a double check for yourself. Sure. Okay. Thank you. And I, it's funny. I was just, as you were talking, I just, I'm on it and looked up. I happen to be partial to caffeine and me too. (laughs) I looked it up and it's like, boy, it, it's making caffeine sound like (laughs) <laughs> something something I would buy on the street, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah just because there's, there's a limit to caffeine too, right? Sure, and apparently it comes in all of these molecular iterations, so... Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, anyway, Liz, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it, and I'm yeah. glad uh, we finally connected, and uh, really best of luck this year, and... That's it. Thank you so much, Jason. And I, uh, I really appreciate all the time you took with me. Thanks for listening to the Nordic Nation podcast from Faster Skier. And if, like Liz, you've listened to all the podcast episodes except the explainer on ski jumping. I've listened to all the podcasts you guys have done so far, and they're awesome. So I hope they, they continue to get some views for you guys. Oh, good. Hey, uh, actually, did you even listen to the jump one and be honest, the jumping? No, I didn't listen to the jumping one. Is that new? The jumping episode in which I featured U.S. Nordic combined skier Brian Fletcher to explore the art of ski jumping, it was released about a month ago. Now, be forewarned, if you give it a listen, you might end up having an epiphany like I heard about in this phone message. Hi, Jason. This is Liz. And I just wanted to let you know, I just listened to the jumping podcast and it was great. And I'm thinking about actually having my ski supplier look into a pair of jumping skis so I can just go huck it off the K90 like those guys do. So hope you're doing great. (laughs) Bye. And lastly, barring any technical snafus, by the time this episode is posted, you should be able to subscribe to Nordic Nation on iTunes. Thanks for listening.